Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Ng Associates, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro and have over 20 years in helping corporations and individuals with planning. We're excited to have you listen to our show today. We are right here every week, um, up every Friday afternoon, uh, our podcast. You can get us on moneymd.net or iTunes every Friday. Yeah, you can also go to the website, Steve, uh, moneymd.net, and there's a link on the right-hand corner, right-hand side of the the website, and it takes you to the podcast uh, location, so you can download the podcast from last week or last month or you know go back and, and look at different topics that are, are of interest to you and uh, listen to those shows. Exactly. Follow us on iTunes as well. That's an easy way to get us. Or, uh, and also, do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can email us there, um, link to us, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. We'd love to hear your questions, and we will cover those here on the show if you send them to us. Um, well, John, I think we have a great show lined up for the day. You know, there's no shortage of news going on, is oh, there? Oh, man, it's busy. <laughs> there's always good stuff, and... You know, after the election here, um, wow, I mean, there's so many things that could affect your finances in the coming year or two with uh – President-elect Trump. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, we're going to start off talking about that, aren't we? We are. So we're going to look at an article out of uh, American Funds that talks about five ways that uh, President-elect Trump could move the market. So some of his some of his policies he's talking about, and this is changing really daily, um, Steve, at this point, but a couple of the things that, um, you know, he's harped on for the last, you know, certainly a couple of months, if not a couple of years, that we're going to dive into. And some of them are positive, um, some of them maybe not so much. So we're going to dive into a couple of those and try to give you some insight into that. Yeah, that will be very interesting. And then we're also going to talk about trust traps. Um, Yeah, this is, uh, you know, talking about trust. uh, I mean, a lot of people have trust. Some people don't have trust, and they should have trust. So we're going to talk a little bit about what is a trust, should you consider one, and what are some of the traps you can fall into if you have, you know, trust with, you know, you and your spouse, um, a marital trust or something like that. But there's a lot of things that you can uh kind of traps you can fall into so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll dig into those um very important topic so we'll start off here though with the financial fact of the week yeah this is a two for one steve i like it two like it. financial facts and they're both kind of somewhat related talking about the election um you know steve on the day of the election there's a political website it's called 538 they were projecting a 28.6 percent chance of donald trump winning 28, that's all, 28.6. Yeah, so, I mean, heavily leaning towards uh, Right, well, can we, kinda all, we kind of all thought that. I think so, know, yeah, no, I'm not, certainly day. not criticizing. I think most people out there thought that, and that's what the news media covered, but only 28%. There was another uh, finance professor up at the University of Pennsylvania, which is a renowned university for finance, and he basically said he wouldn't be surprised to see a 1,000-point drop on the Dow if, if Donald Trump won. Well, that hasn't really played no. out uh, in yeah, the last I mean, week and a half. So, 
you know, these predictions that people make, that's just what they are. Don't make decisions based on headlines and predictions because no one knows. And this is a perfect example. Perfect, particularly with the stock market. I mean, it just goes to show, yeah, I mean, the market was was dropping all week leading up to the election um, as Hillary was gaining steam. And uh, well, actually, as it was dropping all week as Trump was gaining steam mm-hmm. because Hillary kind of right. had the email thing come back up again. And so everybody was thinking the market would drop dramatically if Trump got elected because it wasn't reacting well to him gaining, picking up, picking up uh, steam, if you will, heading into election. And surprisingly, and it did the night of, <laughs> yeah, the, the futures, the, the were, futures way were way negative. Yep. And then that changed, and it's been positive ever since. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it just goes to show how unpredictable all of this is when it comes to the stock market and your investments. You know, don't don't go back and, and look at perception and history and what people are saying and thinking that this is the way it's going to happen this time. Yeah, and some people went very conservative before the election. Some went to cash, and, and you yep. know, I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty on this, but the better strategy is be diverse, have a plan, stick to it. You can't predict these events. That's it. Just stay invested, but stay diversified in the right allocation for your comfort level and your long-term time horizon. So, uh, all right, great fact of the week. And that leads us right in here to the to the President-elect Trump and what that's going to do to the markets and the economy. Um, yeah, let's jump into it, John. Yeah, this is from Matt Miller. He's a part of the Capital Group. Um, and, uh, you know, this, we're going to look at five ways that uh, Trump could move the markets, you know, some of his policies. And, and obviously, the, you know, the, the, the historic victory, it shocked the political establishment and, and actually the global markets as well. Um, you know, it, it kind of felt like Brexit. A little bit, very un, un, uh, unpredicted. Uh, millions of Americans were, were obviously frustrated with the country's direction. They they uh, voted against the perceived status quo in one of the most powerful democracies in uh, in in the world. And you know, but you know, there's a lack of clarity on how the president elect at this point is actually going to govern, and that poses some risk and some opportunities for investors. So we're going to go into that in a little bit. But you know, Republican candidate Trump did did beat uh, uh, Hillary Clinton by a, a pretty good margin. Uh, I think Hillary did win the the uh, popular vote, but from right. electoral college, Trump did very, very well. And initially, the global markets were very volatile. Uh, they fell in Asia. Um, but then they rallied because, you know, the Republicans won the House as well. So this may set up to be positive, you know, going forward. And that's what we're trying to figure out now. We're not trying to predict anything, but right. just looking at his policies. Right. Yeah, I mean, what's it going <clears> to <throat> do the economy and the markets? That's really what we're kind of talking about here. Um, what to expect. But you know, I mean, now investors and all of us out here, international leaders, have to kind of take measure. And I think Americans are going to have to adjust to the style and tone of the new, you know, self-proclaimed outsider to the White House. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is different. You yeah, know? Very different I mean, yeah. it's so different. I actually... I actually started following Trump on Twitter yesterday. Oh, no. <laughs> I did. I'm like, well, you know, I guess this is the way he's going to communicate to us. I guess i got to get in the know, you know. I mean, I can't just, like, hear this on the news. I'm going to have to start actually following this guy because, mm-hmm. I mean, sure enough, you know. He I does, mean, yeah, he's he tweeted man, out. He, yeah. he tweeted out, you know, tweeted out this morning or something about – I can't remember what it was about, but – He's a regular tweeter, so this is kind of different for all of us. Um, but you know, the, re- the Republican majority in both the House and Senate means that Trump will stand a good chance of enacting a lot of his economic agenda. 
I mean, he could do that with the so-called budget reconciliation process under which tax and spending changes can pass with a mere, uh, you know, majority in the Senate, not the 60 votes, just like they did with Obamacare. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's a way they can get a lot of stuff through, you know, and the Democratic investors who are now spooked by Trump's election, they may find themselves surprised next summer by the economic stimulus that Trump you know, wants to enact Mm -hmm. uh, in Washington. So it's a little bit different than I think, you know, people might perceive. And that's why we're going to go through it here. Yeah, and Steve, you know, this doesn't mean the markets are going to go straight up. There will definitely be volatility. Some of it's going to be negative. Some of it's going to be positive. We can't predict which way the markets are going to go. But, you know, there are five things that we're going to look at. The first one here is infrastructure that he's talked about. And this is more than, than just a wall. I mean, he's talked about an infrastructure plan uh, of at least $500 billion. Ouch, that's a lot of spending. It is, and that's that's um, you know, that's a big number. It's half half a trillion on infrastructure. You know, and a lot of people in the nation's capital uh, capital are skeptical. Um, you know, this effort may well include some some version of of the border wall. Um, you know, included in that, but in theory, the U.S. could could give. You know, um, Mexico loan guarantees to borrow at a very low interest rate to assist in the construction. But there's a lot of other things that he's he's focusing on in this process. And we're talking about bridges and tunnels and seaports and and airports and you know electric grids and so forth. You know, in this particular piece, the infrastructure. And if you know, if a stimulus of this size he's discussed were to, to be dispersed over a five-year time frame, it could add up to half a percentage point of GDP. Uh, over the period. That's a massive, massive number. Yeah, that's a lot of spending. Like I said, he's not really a fiscal conservative, you know. I mean, that that makes me a little nervous when you're talking about that kind of spending. Um, But who knows? I mean, maybe it'll jumpstart the economy and and really, you know, pay off. If you have enough growth in the economy, you certainly can can justify spending. But uh, it's a lot of spending. It is. You know, I don't think the wall is going to cost that much. No, I don't so think I, so. I, I'm, I'm very confident they'll he'll be able to do the wall. Um, so next year is taxes, right? Mm, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's going to lower the tax rate for corporations and um, and for workers. I mean, those infrastructure projects could be partially paid through corporate tax overhaul, uh, but any such deal will likely include a provision to repatriate the two trillion dollars of corporate earnings that were trapped overseas by taxing it maybe on a one-time basis at, at like 10%, I yeah. think is a number that's been kicked around. That's an amazing amount of money, $2 trillion. That's a lot of money. If he could get that money brought back to, <clears throat> to the U.S. and actually implemented, you know, where companies will stop sitting on it and actually start expanding, mm-hmm. I mean, that could be a huge boost to the economy. That's a lot of money. And so I think that's a brilliant idea, quite frankly, and I'm excited about that idea. But most Republicans and Democrats agree that the U.S. corporate tax structure also needs reforming, and that makes it a prime, uh, you know, that makes a bipartisan agreement it will be very, very important. Mm-hmm. And he potentially could get that done um, to showcase his negotiating skills. You know, during his campaign, I mean, he, he pledged to cut the top corporate tax rate from uh, 15, to 15% from 35%, which should have the desirable side effect of curbing inversions. And that's the transactions that allow U.S. companies to to uh, merge with an overseas firm, pay a lower tax rate in the latter country. 
Um, but that practice has become popular the last several years and, you know, much to dismay of the policymakers. So he may be able to curb that yeah. with all these, uh, with lowering the tax rate and repatriating uh, all that money. Yeah, if you can get corporations to make different decisions, I mean, they're going to follow the money, basically. If you can oh, lower no some doubt. tax rates, they're going to they're gonna bring their operations here and the money there as well. So exactly. that's a very, very, I think, a very positive one. Another one they've talked about, Steve, is... Um, is dramatically lowering personal income tax rates. Um, you know, if he has his way, he, in the reconciliation process, the uh, the blueprint, which could in, include substantial uh, defense increases, would spell higher budget deficits in the near term. Um, so that's that's going to be tricky. Uh, I know I've I've seen recently that the uh, personal tax rates have actually increased a little bit from what he initially said. So that's a slippery slope. You got to be careful because if you lower tax rates too much, then the deficit is going to continue to increase, deficit, and that's a concern as deficit well. Deficit definitely going to be a concern with all this spending, but um, like I said, if he can if he can get GDP up, you know, above four percent, four and a half, five percent, that will bring in a lot of revenue. No, oh, no doubt, no doubt. So taxes are another thing he's going to be looking at. Trade, Steve is um, is another big one. A lot of a lot of talk on trade at this point, and uh, you know, a president has more unilateral power to make changes to current trade agreements than is commonly understood, and so that really means that President-elect Trump could rewrite deals to be a tougher to to be tougher on trade partners, or use the threat of U.S. withdrawal from existing deals as a negotiation ploy to force changes uh, where he deems important. And while the Washington establishment certainly fears Trump will lead us into you know destructive and re- recession-inducing trade wars, that's that's not guaranteed. Obviously, it seems more likely that Trump would you know see his and the country's interest uh, better served by a posture that would um, have some flexibility and, and come to good terms. So a lot of people are talking about NAFTA um, as being right. a concern in that process as well. But trade is definitely going to be on the table. Yeah, NAFTA is the big one. You know, he's pledged to revise the North American Free Trade Agreement, which was signed by um, President Clinton back in 1993. And he would also kill the Trans-Pacific Partnership that was recently enacted, you know, as a result. Um, that would hurt Americans' prestige in the region. Um, but then finally, Trump has also called for tougher rules on trade with China, who he says has taken advantage of the U.S. trade negotiators for years, which I think we can all agree they, they definitely have. But he, he could also attempt in various ways to crack down the U.S. firms that move jobs or plants or operations overseas. He's talked about doing that, you know, and, and charging tariff when mm-hmm. they move those when they try to ship the goods back to the U.S. So he's going to be tough on trade. It'll be interesting to see what he does there. Yeah, you got to be careful there because, you know, you want to have open you want to have open trade negotiations because if we close ourselves off, I mean, that that doesn't that's not going to be a positive. No, but we know. do. We do hold a lot of cards, though. I mean, we have a lot of clout in that area and we should get good trade deals. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's no need for us to. Give to, everything to, away. To give everything yep. away and have poor trade deals. I mean, because we are the strongest economy yep. in the world. I agree. So infrastructure, taxes, trade negotiations, health care. Does that surprise you? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. That's yeah, on the list. there are going to be some things changing on this. Although Trump has been vague about his precise you know, plans for health care, he certainly campaigned to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And most observers believe, however, that it would be politically disastrous to simply cancel the coverage 
for the 20 million Americans who have gotten coverage under the, the Affordable Care Act. So it's it's likely that there's going to be a, um, a plan to kind of repeal and rebrand. So keeping some of the, um, you know, the, the things that are good in there, maybe scaling back some of the subsidies and regulations. Uh, Republicans find excessive, um, uh, while nonetheless holding the vast majority of the current uh, ACA beneficiaries harmless. So, Steve, there's definitely going to be some, some changes in the ACA world, which there needs to be. I mean, there's some good things that are, have come through it, but, I mean, I, I, you know, I talk to people oh, they, every day that have much higher. Oh, it's got to change. I mean, Kathy's insurance is going from $600 to $1,200 next year. Mm, this year, doubling. this coming year. Yeah, it's doubling hey, to $1,200 for just her and, and a, high a couple, deductible couple girls. Yeah. Yeah, it's a high deductible plan. Exactly. I mean, so it's just it's just nuts. I mean, what's happening there? And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to kick you know 20 million Americans who who are now qualified under uh, Medicare uh, or Medicaid, mm, I yeah, guess, right. to the curb. Um, but you know, the subsidies, something's got to change. So that's a screwed up system. Mm-hmm. I know people that want to work part time that that can't work part time because they will lose their subsidy. I mean, it's just stupid. And then I know people that have have a lot of assets that have maybe a half million dollars or more in assets, yet they're qualifying for a subsidy. Mm-hmm. So they're in the top five percent of U.S. households in terms of assets. Yeah, and they don't. But their income's the income. low, so right. they get a they get like a huge like eight hundred thousand dollars subsidy for health care. And plus, I mean, the reason why health care is going up in the first place is because of the subsidies. I mean, you pump a whole bunch of money into the system without limiting the the supply without increasing the supply you know or vastly increasing demand i mean if you just pump money in the system yeah. you're going to get higher prices yeah. that's like economics 101 so it's just stupid to think that we can go out here and put a whole bunch of money in the system through a ton of subsidies and think that healthcare is not going to get more expensive how do you really feel about this steve <laughs> it's just crazy <laughs> so yeah he's going to he's going to make some major changes there <laughs> Um, you know, he's also criticized high drug prices, saying that the government needs to be stronger and negotiated with pharmaceutical firms. Um, you know, if he follows through with that, that could mean, you know, a push for government to exert its pricing power through Medicare and Medicaid and his other programs. However, the GOP, you know, more broadly is not aligned with Trump on the idea of price, you know, direct price negotiation. So the outcome of that you know, it certainly remains uh, a mm-hmm. little bit of a mystery um, because, you know, that's not exactly a conservative idea with price controls. Yeah. No, definitely not. And that, so healthcare is another big, big area. It's probably going to take a while to, to get to that one. Another one, Steve, is looser fiscal policies. I mean, Trump's called for major defense spending increases. Obviously, that would be a boon for uh, aerospace, defense, uh, homeland security, things like that. So the looser fiscal policy is kind of a broad, like you were saying, he, he likes to spend. And um, if he can get the GDP up, it can it can cover all of that spending and then some. So that's what he's going to try to do. He's going to try to grow the economy and be pro-growth. Um, so, Steve, you know, the, the the long view here, when you look at the, the, the U.S. economy, likely to remain one of the strongest globally, no matter who resides in the White House. I mean, you know, the president does have power to execute some of these poli- policy changes that can move markets, but you also have to have Congress involved in the process. So there are some some controls in place if he gets too wild and crazy with some of this. Hopefully, Paul Ryan, the fiscal um, watchdog, will, will help to balance that out. Long story short, you can't predict the markets um, 
we don't know if this is going to be positive. It, it feels like it will be. I and mean, it's just kind of our gut. When you start having pro-growth policies, there is a feel as you listen to the media and so forth. But don't don't make drastic changes to what you're doing. Right. That's right. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see. I mean, because this is going to be yeah, it's a long-term. It's going to be a long-term thing, and it's going to take some time. So good topic. All right, that leads us up here to the question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with um, uh, investing. Should I be more aggressive in the stock market? Uh, as I hear the media talking about these pro-growth policies that we just referenced, and you know, we've gotten some phone calls and, and had conversations with clients about being more aggressive now that you have Republicans controlling all three branches, um, you know, both sides of Congress and the presidential. Um, uh, the White House as well. And, and so generally I would say, no, I don't think you need to make drastic changes based on who's president. Um, you got to be well diversified, have a risk level that fits your your appetite and, um, and have a plan that it all ties together. So no, I would not just go and necessarily be more aggressive just because of this event. Exactly. I mean, you got to pick your allocation and your risk level based on Two factors. One is your time horizon. You know, when will you need the money? When are you going to start drawing money out? And the other, though, is your comfort level. You know, what what volatility can you sleep well with and, you know, recognize that it may go up or down by 20 or 30 percent, you know, given if you're in that type of risk level. So those are the two factors, really. I would not base it on the president and where you think markets might go on next year or next next two years or four years. Uh, there's just no way to tell that. There's too many moving parts, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there's no way to know what Trump's really going to do to the markets long term. We're all very hopeful that it will lead to to more growth and and better stock markets. Um, most definitely, yes, we're hopeful. But uh, at the same time, don't go take make big bets on it. Yep. So, all right, that leads up to our last topic here, and that is trust traps. What to avoid. Um, yeah, whether you're wealthy or not, you know, well-designed trust can make your financial planning much more successful. Your trust can ensure that your assets will go to your intended beneficiaries rather than unnecessarily to creditors or former spouses or estate taxes or long-term care bills um, or other threats out there. So a tr- what a trust is, a trust is a document that is an agreement between the uh, the donee, the, the the grantor of the trust, that is, the person who puts the assets in there, and the beneficiaries and the trustee. There's a trustee that's in control of the assets when they're in a trust. Um, the donee, just, uh, the grantor just gives the money and puts it in the trust, and then the beneficiaries are ultimately the ones that, that get the benefit of the trust. Um, so it's just a, a governing document. And you can put assets in there um, inside an account that's titled to a trust, and then it it provides certain protections. And that's what we're talking about here. Unfortunately, many trust documents contain language that limits their ability to protect assets. And no one notices the problems until they're too late, until it's too late. So if you don't have a trust, there's a good chance that you, you might should have one. And if you do have a trust, make sure that it doesn't contain some of these mistakes in the language of the trust. So the first mistake we're going to talk about here is ignoring trusts altogether because today's high federal estate tax exemptions. Um, You know, keeping assets safe from estate taxes has long been one of the major reasons to create a trust. But with the federal estate tax exemption now at over $5 million, $5.45 million dollars. 
John, and twice that for married couples. So it's like nine million dollars for married couples. Wow. That's yeah, a big number. Um, but yeah, very few families obviously have to worry about the threat of estate taxes. But there are some other good reasons to have trust. Yeah, some people don't realize that um, you know the federal estate taxes were never the only reason to create a trust. I mean, trust can also safeguard assets until heirs are old enough to manage the money responsibly. They can also protect assets from state taxes, uh, estate taxes. Some states still have a relatively low estate tax exemption, as low as a million dollars in some cases. And uh, although sev- several states are raising their low exemption levels at this point, um, maybe something that you want to consider. And failing to use a trust to protect assets from various potential costs can end up being a very expensive mistake as well. So there's some other reasons than just federal taxes. Yeah, just to give a quick example, there was a New York man who left a million-dollar estate to his wife, and she later required a lengthy stay in a nursing home, which ate up virtually all of those assets. And had he put those instead into an irrevocable trust that named his wife as the beneficiary, then Medicaid would have paid her nursing home bills, and he'd have kept that money for his family. So it's just an easy you know, example of of why trust it could be very very important and beneficial to your family um so you know you need to speak with an estate planning attorney uh if those kinds of situations might fit your your situation if you have assets that might be vulnerable um to any of these problems but the next mistake here is the trust terminates when the beneficiaries reach a predetermined age or at some other specified date they say that's a mistake here. This, by the way, is an article out of the Bottom Line Personal by uh, uh, Gideon, Gideon Rothschild, who's an attorney. And uh, so what he says here, you know, it's very common for trust to terminate when beneficiaries reach a particular <clears throat> birth date, often 18, 21, 25, or 30 um, for, for younger beneficiaries, and with all their assets being distributed distributed to them at that time. That's because when people set up trust, their primary goal is often to ensure that the assets remain safe until a minor, you know, gets old enough to handle the money maturely. But the problem is a trust that's set up this way does nothing to protect the assets from the other threats that could could uh, dump, uh, that could eat up the money, you know. And it also dumps a large sum of money into a beneficiary's lap at oftentimes an inopportune moment, such as when the spouse might be ready to file for divorce or when a lawsuit or a bankruptcy is looming out there. So a better way to do it is ask your state planning attorney to not include a termination date in this trust. Instead, grant the trust beneficiaries broad powers to replace the trustee when those beneficiaries reach a certain age, like 25 or 30. That way, the beneficiaries can continue to have the protection that the trust offers, but they have some ability to manage it and utilize the assets the way they see fit, including selecting a new trustee who's in line with their thinking, mm-hmm. um, you know, if in line with what they want That's to happen right. with the money. Yeah, and this next one uh, mistake kind of goes in line with that a little bit, Steve, and the wording that you use in the trust is also very important and using um, a mistake is using the word shall because that basically ties the trustees hands they must distribute the assets as directed even if that's going to be foolish so a better way to do that would be to use the word may 
right? Exactly. It gives at least gives the trustee, you know, the ability to to make some decisions. Maybe there's a better way to to distribute the assets or or manage and handle that situation. But if you use the word shall, there's no leeway in that. Yeah, it just ties their hands. That's right. And the last mistake here is choosing a family member or a friend as the trustee. Um, now, I mean, oftentimes this works out just fine, but this is, you know, this is extremely common to be a problem because most people don't want to pay professional trustee fees and because most people have at least one family member or a close friend whom they trust to handle this task responsibly. But even if the family member or friend selected is truly honest, and but disagreements can arise, you know, between trustees and beneficiaries, and that often creates some family discord and can end long-standing friendships. So while it often works out fine, sometimes it can go poorly. Amateur trustees often have little or no experience in this role, so they, you know, sometimes make costly mistakes, some mm-hmm. of which can result in IRS penalties. Yeah, so the way to handle that, Steve, is is uh, consider a professional trustee. I mean, not only will this trustee be better, much better equipped to handle the responsibilities of the role, but also your beneficiaries will be able to uh, sue if they needed to for breach of fiduciary duty if they don't do that. So, you know, there are companies out there that handle and do this for a living. Yeah, and, you know, what you can do instead of, uh, you know, if you're worried about the fee, you can just limit the fee. You can put it in the trust document and say the fee is limited to maybe a half percent. Um, you know, unlike what this article suggests, I would not necessarily pick a trustee that also is managing the money because that creates an inherent conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to want them to be able to distribute the money and have the, the ability to distribute some discretion at distributing the money, they're not going to distribute the money, any money, if they're also managing the money. Yeah. So better to have an independent trustee, in my opinion. Yep. So, all right, great topic. That leads up here to our last thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so we're kind of getting close to the holidays. We are. It's coming right up here on the end yeah. of the year, the and annual, Black Friday and all that stuff. Annual Carolina Clemson bash. Oh, there you go. There you much go. Of a bash. Oh, it it probably going, will be a bash again this year. So I don't know. I mean, it's coming we, right up. We can always lose, yeah, that's for well, sure. We'll We've see. proven that. So, you know, year-end planning, and, and Steve, we've talked about this before. There are things that you can do to lower your tax bill. You can gift appreciated stock. Uh, we also talked recently about gifting your RMD to a charity to, to lower your, you know, your calculated income. Um, you know, obviously you can do charitable contributions. I've seen people pull it in from the next year into this year because they're in a, right. they had some income that came in that's going to be unusual. 401k saving is another way to, to lower your tax bill. HSA. So there's a number of things that you can do, but now's the time to plan. We can certainly uh, talk with you about that, but also coordinating with the CPA is recommended also. Exactly. Good prescription of the week. Do some year-end tax planning right now while you still have some time to make some changes. So, all right, that leads up to our end of this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week to MoneyMD to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.